Well, this morning, um, I have a guest speaker. I get a, a preaching day off. Um, we're working on the floor over at the Life Center. This week, they're going to put a new epoxy floor, so we've had several things to get done um, to prepare for that. But anyway, I asked uh, Mr. Steve Burwell uh, several weeks ago if he would mind stepping in for me, and he uh, so generously said yes, and I am so thankful. So let's welcome Steve Birdwell. I know he has an amazing word for you today. Love you, Steve. Hey, you too. <laughs> I don't know it was so much a volunteer as Cheryl threatened me, but... <laughs> nah, she didn't really. Sometime back, there was a golfing contest being held down in Nashville. It's very similar to other golfing contests, I guess, that are held all over the country, where the person hits the golf ball, and whoever gets a hole-in-one is the winner of the tournament. And if no one gets a hole-in-one on that hole, then the winner is whoever gets the closest to the hole after it stops rolling. So one golfer teed up and hit just a beautiful shot. Landed right on the green, rolled right up to the hole, stopped six inches away. Another golfer got up, hit a terrible shot. Smacked a tree, but it bounced off the tree miraculously right onto the green, rolled across the green, hit that guy's golf ball, knocked it out of the way, and his rolled to within one inch of the cup. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'd rather be lucky than good. Well, there it is. The good golfer lost, the bad golfer won. And the good golfer surely thought to himself, you know, this just isn't fair. Let me ask you something. Is there anybody here who truly and honestly believes that life is fair? Nope. Let me tell you something. Life may be many things, but fair certainly is not one of them. Some 2,000 years ago, a fellow named Jesus was walking around preaching. And he wound up turning the earth on its ear. Jesus did a lot of preaching, and one of the things he used was stories. We call them parables today. But the fact of the matter is, they were just stories that he made up for that particular teaching moment. These things actually didn't happen. Much like the stories that I have told my children and grandchildren without an ounce of truth to it. <laughs> Probably a lot of you have done the same thing. So Jesus was telling this story one day, we call it a parable, like I said, about a landowner who hired a crew to work in his vineyard. The landowner and the workers agreed on one denarius, which was the going rate for a day's wages at that time. The next morning... 6 a.m., the crew went to work. And then the landowner went out again at 9 a.m., hired another crew and put them to work. And then at noon, and then at 3. And finally, at 5 o'clock in the evening, he got yet another crew and put them to work in the vineyard as well. And then at 6 o'clock, he decided to call it a day. And he instructed his foreman to go ahead and start paying everyone. But he said, start with the people who came on last and finish up with the ones who came on first. Now here comes the surprising part of the parable. The people who were sent out to work at 5 o'clock in the evening 
received a denarius, a full day's wages for only one hour. This, of course, totally surprised, but at the same time delighted the other crews, those especially who had been starting at 6 o'clock in the morning. They saw this happen and they said, look at this. Look what these people were paid for one hour. Imagine how much we're going to get. But when it was time for them to get paid, they got the same denarius as, some, as all the others. And that, of course, brought about exactly the reaction you would expect. The laborers were upset. This isn't fair, they said. We have worked all day long in the hot sun, and you paid us the same as those people who only worked for one lousy hour? It's not fair, is it? In fact, our senses are kind of shocked by the parable of the vineyard workers. This is not what we expect. It goes against a lot of stuff, everything that we hold dear in this country. We've been taught all of our lives that you get out of something in direct proportion to what you put into that. You work hard, you get paid. You work harder, you do a better job than everyone else, and you'll probably get paid more than others, and hey, maybe even get a promotion. But that didn't happen in Jesus' story. Instead, all of the workers wound up getting paid exactly the same amount. What a lousy system! We don't like it. In our way of thinking, those people who started working late, especially those at 5 o'clock in the evening, essentially got something for nothing. They got a whole day's wage for one hour of work, which is a really great deal for them, not so great for the others. So try that with a few union people and see what you get. <laughs> Hire a brand new person. Put his or her name at the top of the seniority list on the first day, assuring that he or she gets first pick of jobs, hours, raises, overtime, all of that stuff. You know what you're going to get. They're going to be on strike immediately. Take a brand new hire straight out of school. Make him or her the head of the office on the first day. Hire a brand new teacher right out of college and pay him or her the same amount that you pay to those with master's degrees, PhDs, 30 years in the system. Hire a new cop and immediately promote him or her to head up the division. What in the world was Jesus thinking about here? These workers had absolutely every right in the world to grumble and complain because it's not fair. And we want fairness, don't we? Don't we all want fairness? That's only right. But God is not fair. I'll say that again so you know you heard me right. God is not fair. If you are looking for fairness in this, my friends, don't go to God. Because you are not going to get it there. Everybody awake now? The Jews of the Old Testament knew a lot about fairness, although the word they used at the time was justice. They wanted God to be just, or fair, if you will, above all other things. Because they firmly believed that if God was always just, if God was always fair, then they could easily tell 
right from wrong. And of course, then they would know how they stood in the eyes of God. If you were a righteous person, you would be rewarded for it. If you were unrighteous, then you would be punished. Now, what could be fairer than that? Be good, reap rewards. Be bad, get punished. Problem is, as we know, life just doesn't work that way, does it? Because the truth of the matter is, every single one of us, every one of us, sees godly, righteous people having tough times, suffering every single day. We see that, don't we? And we've seen evil people seemingly prosper in this life for some reason. Now, the way the old Hebrews saw this system, if God was good, and if God was just, if God was fair to every person, then their reward for being righteous to Him would be prosperity. A large family with lots of sons. Now, yeah, maybe a couple of daughters thrown in there. Good health, long life. And if they had these things, they considered this to be a visible sign from God himself that they were indeed being righteous in their lives. And if their neighbors did not have these things, well, there had to be a reason why. And they knew what that reason was. Their neighbor must be harboring some kind of a secret sin here that they didn't know about. Because they didn't have these things. And therefore, that was God's punishment to them for being unrighteous. And it wasn't just an individual thing either. You see, even as a nation, Israel believed that God should be just or fair with them as a people. If they were a righteous people, then God would allow the nation to prosper. If they were an unrighteous people, then God would punish the nation. Now... <clears throat> I want you to come back with me to the years 1939 through 1945. World War II is raging. Six million Jews are in the process of losing their lives in Hitler's concentration camps. And I want to assure you that many, many of these six million people were just as good and just and righteous and faithful as any people on the face of this earth have ever been. And many, many of those six million were small children. And I don't understand, I can't get it, why people think in their hearts that the Holocaust was God's punishment for not being righteous to these people. And yet there are people today who still believe that very thing. But I want to ask you, where is the justice? Where is the fairness in that? Remember, the righteous people got packed into these cattle cars right alongside the unrighteous people. And all of them were condemned to die in the camps. Where was God's justice? Where was God's fairness in this? And it's no wonder that the Jewish people have struggled for centuries with their faith. And then, of course, you know, there's the flip side of the coin as well, which is life after death. That's when the righteous get to go to heaven. And people like Hitler get to burn in hell forever. And even better, 
when we go to heaven, which of course we're all going to go there, maybe, just maybe, we'll be allowed to look down on these awful, unrighteous people and see them in their suffering. So, does that mean that God really is fair after all? Does he have a system in which Hitler goes to hell, Mother Teresa goes to heaven, the world is turning on greased skids once more, and everything is working out just exactly like we, we think it should? Huh. Yeah, maybe. But doesn't that bring up a really huge question? The question is, where exactly is the dividing line for our sins. In other words, we know that all of us are sinners. We sin every day. So the question becomes, which of our sins are minor enough that we can commit them and still be allowed to go to heaven? And which of our sins are so bad that when we commit them, we're going to be condemned to hell? Are some of these sins... Self-righteous, murder, theft, adultery. Murder, that's an easy one, right? We can start with that. Or is it an easy one? Do you remember the John Grisham book and movie titled A Time to Kill? The movie starred Samuel L. Jackson. And his little girl was brutally attacked, horrible thing, by two men. And he, in turn, wound up killing these two men. Because of what they had done to his little girl, did his circumstance become one that was deserving of leniency in the eyes of God? What about theft? Who gets a big pass on that one? The company president who steals millions of dollars from his employee's retirement fund? Or the drug-addicted teenager that steals from your house your stuff so that he can sell to feed his habit. Before you decide, though, what if that company president used a lot of that money for some really great things and helped out a lot of needy people? What if he was a deacon in his church? What if he said he's really guilty of nothing more than bad bookkeeping? Does that get a pass? And what about that teenager that broke into your house? What if that is your son? What if it's your daughter? Does that make a difference? You know, if God were truly fair, and I mean truly fair, in the way that the Hebrews saw things, then what would keep people from becoming self-righteous? From looking down on those who didn't measure up to their particular standards, to their personal dividing line between right and wrong. Because remember, you see, that's exactly what got the Pharisees in trouble so long ago. A minister once coined a word for a woman in his congregation. He called her a spiritual machine gun. Anybody who argued with this lady on anything at all found themselves getting mowed down by Scripture. The minister said she could spit out that scripture like a machine gun firing. But the problem was she completely lacked compassion or empathy for other people. All she did was use God's word. 
to cut down those people who did not measure up to her lofty standards. Do you understand the problem here with us wanting God to be fair with us or just with us? Because you see, if God were to deal with us justly, if God were to deal with us fairly, then every single person in this place is going to be in a lot of trouble. And that's one of the reasons Jesus told this parable about the vineyard workers. They were complaining that they, weren't, that, that they were not being treated fairly. God, the, the, that the owner was not being just with them. Because they had worked so many more hours in the hot sun. Well, Jesus wanted them to understand that God is not necessarily just. Nor is He fair. Instead, God is generous. God wants all of His children to be redeemed, not to be punished. I mean, how many times have you heard your own children cry out, That's not fair! Yeah, and sometimes what we do as parents is anything but fair. Because being fair is not necessarily being right. Being fair is not part of a parent's job description, though, is it? You know, as parents, your parents probably were not fair with you either. We're not. Our job is not to be fair with our children. Our job is to raise children who are healthy, responsible, God-fearing adults. And so it is with God Himself. God is righteous, but He does not hand out His justice based upon whether we are good or whether we are bad. Because God is busy every day creating and molding righteous souls who will eventually live in heaven with Him forever. And that, thankfully, is where the cross comes into play. Because the Hebrews of old could not keep the laws that had been passed down through Moses, God determined that another way was going to have to take place. And that way was through His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the sins of every person who ever lived, including each one of us, and He placed them upon His own shoulders and took our punishment for us. And that's not fair. It's not. If God truly wanted to be fair with all of us, then you know what? We should have to earn our way into heaven. We should. We should be forced to pay our own way in life. Not get a free ride. That's not the right way. But we don't have to. Because Christ paid that price for us, for each and every one of us. God's system is not a fair system because it is so unequal. Whenever murderers or thieves repent for their sins, they wind up receiving the exact same forgiveness as God gives to the Sunday school teachers, to the martyrs of the faith, to the Mother Teresas of this world. Let me tell you something. No matter what our U.S. Constitution says, we are not truly equals anywhere else except at the foot of the cross where we are all sinners, all sinners saved equally 
by the grace of God alone. As I prepare to close, <clears throat> I'd kind of like to leave you with a little food for thought this morning. The Bible is a very big bit, book. It's filled with a lot of events, a lot of happenings, stories of all kinds. Inside the pages of the Bible, you'll find the stories of many, many people, all of whom were sinners, none of whom, with the exception of Jesus himself, lived a truly righteous life from beginning to end. In those pages, of the old, we find the Old Testament stories of people like Noah, and Moses, Abraham, King David, Joseph of the coat of many colors, and so many other great people and bad people. In the New Testament, we encounter the disciples, the Apostle Paul, Mary and Martha, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Joseph, his earthly father, and so many more people, both good and bad, all of whom were sinners, just like each and every one of us. Do you realize, though, that from the beginning of the Bible to the end, there was only one person through that entire book who was explicitly promised a place in heaven? Could it have been the Apostle Paul, considered outside of Jesus Christ to be the most influential person who ever walked the face of this earth? Was it King David? King Solomon? Peter, maybe? How about Jesus' earthly mother, Mary? Good guess is all. And everyone dead wrong. The one and the only person in this entire Bible who was explicitly promised that he was going to heaven was the thief who hung on the cross beside Jesus. The only one. Luke 23, 39-43 reads, And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Do you realize the true significance of that particular passage? This was an 11th hour deathbed confession from a condemned and dying criminal. This is confirmation that no matter what we might have done in our lives, no matter how awful our sins are, no matter what a horrible person we have been, we can still be forgiven right up until the time we draw that final breath. No, we cannot buy our way. We cannot earn our way into heaven. Because you see, God is not just. 
nor is he fair. God is, however, generous. Like the vineyard workers, whether you accepted Christ at 6 a.m. in your life, or if it was at noon, or if you waited until 5 o'clock just before quitting time, God has got a place for you. Mark Twain said it better than anybody ever will. He said, heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would be out and your dog would be in. (laughs) Tell you what, truer words have never been spoken. A house caught fire one morning. By the time the firemen arrived, flames were licking out everywhere. A woman in pajamas appeared at the window. And the fireman yelled at her to try to get her to jump. But she refused to do so. She told him she had to get dressed first. And they begged her, no, come as you are. But she refused. They tried the stairs, they tried the windows, but their fire was coming out everywhere and they couldn't get to her. Finally, the roof collapsed on top of her. She waited too long. Don't make that mistake, my friends. Don't make that same mistake. Don't think that you have to get ready first. Don't think that your heart has to be right or anything else that is stopping you. Don't think that. God is generous. God is not vindictive. And I promise you, God loves the five o'clock Christian just the same as those who have worked all day. And He promises them the same salvation. Don't wait. Amen. That's one of those sermons that uh, he asked a lot of questions, and I'm sitting there, should I say yes or should I say no? And then I start realizing I'm only saying that because I'm only thinking with the human mind that I have. But I'm serving a God that has a mind that's immeasurable that we can't even reach. You know, as I sat there and I heard that, Steve, I thought a lot of us have been serving the Lord a long time. Some of you may have just come to the Lord, but I see myself as, even though I've been walking with Him a long time, in a lot of ways, I'm still the 5 o'clock Christian. I'm still the 5 o'clock Christian, and I believe we all are, because that person really didn't deserve to get paid what they got paid. And all of us, regardless of how long we've been walking with Jesus, don't deserve the mercy of heaven. We don't deserve the mercy of today you will be with me in paradise. I'll never forget a man that I uh, was ministering to on his deathbed, dying of cancer, just in his last final hours. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I haven't lived for God my whole life. And he said, I feel really guilty about asking him for heaven now, asking him for forgiveness now. And it was like God just spoke into my heart and said, you just tell him, I'm just glad you came. I'm just glad you came. Whether you came at 6 o'clock in the morning and worked all day or whether you come at 5 o'clock and work for an hour. I'm not saying wait. Like Steve said, don't wait. Because I've also seen people that waited too long. But I will say this to every one of us that has heard this message. God has a heart that is bigger than our worst sin. That is brighter than our darkest sin. And if you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, I cannot end this service without making an opportunity while we stand to our feet, 
I'm going to ask, you don't even have to come up here. I'm going to ask you right where you're standing, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if God, and He's dealt with my heart through this message, if God has dealt with your heart and you've never really genuinely made Jesus Lord of your life, maybe uh, whatever hour it is for you in your life, you're making, you're coming to Jesus, working in His, wanting to come to Jesus to work in His vineyard. Jesus is ready to accept you with that same mercy that He gave that thief on the cross. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, uh, if you need salvation, you need to make Jesus Christ, and no one's looking around. Don't worry about that. If you need to make Jesus Lord of your life and say, you're saying in your heart, Jesus, I just want you to be Lord. Come into my heart. Be Lord and Savior of my life. I just want you to raise your hand right now. I just want you to raise your hand. I'm not even looking around. God sees that hand. God knows the mercy that He is extending right now. Mercy that none of us deserve. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank You for these hands that are being lifted today, that are surrendering their hearts over to You today, that are making You Lord and Savior of their lives. Lord, we make it too hard. I pray that they would just invite you in to be Lord of their life. In fact, all of us, would you pray with me, even the ones, especially the ones with their hands up. Uh, Lord Jesus, I open my heart and I invite you to come in to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to forgive me of my sins, to make me brand new. I surrender it all to you. I give it to you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. That I could have life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I thank you for Steve's message today. I thank you, Lord God, for your Holy Spirit working through this message. I thank you for the power and the truth of your word. And I thank you for this precious story that Steve ministered to us through. Lord God, that surely tells of your grace and your mercy. We love you. We know you have a love for us that we can't even imagine, but we thank you for that mercy. We thank you for that grace, and I thank you for those that have made Jesus Lord of their lives today, surrendering themselves over to you. But I pray that every one of us that heard this message, uh, no matter how long we've walked with you, will draw closer to you today and forever. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. Let's give Steve a hand for that awesome. Hallelujah. God bless you all. You're dismissed.